0: Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks and praise that you have brought us again to your house of prayer and praise. And we ask that you bless us as we come now before your scriptures with a right understanding of your word. That we might not only know the truth that you wish to give us, but that we might conform our lives to it, that it might grab a hold of our hearts and draw us unto greater faithfulness and fruitful living. Bless us in this time, O Lord, as we reflect in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi right, Matthew, this is a clicky sermon, so. Um, so, uh, to, to start with, um, last week, uh, for, first to start with, I'm going to apologize, my voice is a little, <laughs> today, we were at an amusement park all day yesterday with the kids, so <laughs> if I crack up a little bit, I'm not sick. I'm just dry. <laughs> okay. um, second of all, this ex- explanation before we begin this sermon, when Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he responded with, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Last week we focused on the heart. Um, giving yourself completely to God without reservation and without allowing yourself to be distracted. Um, Tonight, or today, we're going to focus on the mind. So, this is not going to be probably a warm, fuzzy sermon, but it's one of those sermons that hopefully will give you an understanding you can take home and apply into your life. And um, it's being offered to you in a way, almost in the sense of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So, I'll lay that out ahead of time as as we begin. Um, I'm going to focus my sermon today on our second reading, our reading from the book of Ephesians. In fact, I'm really going to focus it on the first verse of our second reading, which begins like this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth takes its name. Every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Now, this was and other passages like this in the New Testament were uh, a source of great contention in my seminary experience. Um, and we were we, we read a lot of books uh, by a couple of theologians, but it all got started with a, when a woman named Mary Daly in 1974 wrote a book. And in that book, she says this: She says, "Since God is male, the male is God." Now, this kind of saying would have probably just been disappeared into a, what do they call that, the the black hole, the abyss something, just people would have not paid any attention to it. But it was built on a lot of assumptions that were already so prominent in our uh, seminary and university systems that people almost didn't notice that they had made these assumptions anymore. And it, it informed a lot of my seminary experience, um, these, these sort of highly critical focuses on Scripture, especially calling God Father. Now, you're going to say, why are we talking about that here? I am going to explain that partway through the sermon. Okay? I'm going to explain partway through the sermon why I'm focusing on it this morning. Um, but it's out of charity and love for the people we love that we're doing this today. And again, also, because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Good teaching is the antidote for bad teaching. So we're going to talk about this. Um this is the way the enlightenment looks at religion. Okay, no matter what religion you are, we're all trying to climb our way to God. One God, many paths, that is the model of the enlightenment. If God's there at all, and in a sense it doesn't matter whether God's there at all. Religion is just us trying to climb towards the spiritual, okay? Now, The assumptions that inform our thoughts since the 1700s when the Enlightenment really got going about this, or that inform the Academy's thoughts, and that's what forms our pastors, right? I have a master's degree. I can't even go to seminary until I have a bachelor's degree. So there's assumptions operating in the background here. One of them is this. All religions are completely human constructions, right? Just us putting together our best ideas, and by culture, by culture, it changes. Which also means that all religions are nothing more than human spiritual aspirations, right? What this means is that all doctrines or all teachings of all religions are just projections of purely human feelings, not objective knowledge. Right? It means it's not real knowledge. You know, two hydrogen plus one oxygen is real knowledge. When we talk about Jesus, that's not real knowledge. Gerhard Ferdi, the late Gerhard Ferdi, he was a great Lutheran theologian at uh, Luther Seminary. He uh, he called this ladder theology. We're just trying to climb our way towards God. This is the way, and we're going to put our best effort in. We talk a lot about by grace through faith here, right? So our best efforts don't quite make the cut. <laughs> now, here's what Dr. Daly's argument was. What she says essentially, Jesus only called God Father because of the patriarchal culture in which he lived. Okay? Now, Jesus broke a lot of the taboos of that culture, but apparently he didn't feel like he could break away from this one. So in, in essence, in a way, it's almost accusing God of, of the sin of conspiring to keep women down. Gee. Calling God Father is a projection of our own experiences onto God. Now here Dr. Daly is actually channeling the the work of a German philosopher from the 1800s called Feuerbach. Y'all don't know his name, but if you've heard the phrase, you are what you eat, you know Feuerbach. Okay, he came up with that one. So God is like a father, therefore, people with bad experiences of fathers or men in general should not be forced to call God father. You can call God whatever you want. In my my last um, my last worship service at seminary, uh, our providing as our presiding minister started the Lord's prayer with "Our Father and Mother in Heaven." My friend who was standing next to me, who was raised Roman Catholic, says, "Are we talking to Mary now?" Now, Dr. Daly also uses Bible passages She is a theologian. She uses Bible passages to make her point. Passages like Hosea 11.9, I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with Him? Isaiah 40.18. And here's a passage we probably spent at least two weeks about on this, this next passage when I was in seminary. O Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Now the the key words here are these ones. As a hen. Right? That's a female chicken, not a male. Just so y'all are clear if you're not farmers, okay? So... As a hen, Jesus would wished he could gather the people of Jerusalem under his wings. Okay, so here we have a, a female metaphor for God. Now, that, Dr. Daly's argument sounds compassionate to those who maybe have a, had an abusive father or a bad relationship with men in general. It sounds just. It can even be made to sound biblical but taken in its totality and in the totality of the witness of Scripture, it's also wrong. And I have to thank the, the female theologians in my own life who taught this to me, including my former bishop. Jesus calls God Father, first and foremost, as a name, not as a poetic metaphor. There's a huge difference between saying God is like this or like that and saying, God, is this. And then saying, calling God by name. When my, my children, are I, I, who are 17 and 15 now, the first time that they got a word out and they called me Daddy, and my heart just melted, it wasn't because they were comparing me to my father. <laughs> that was my name in their eyes. Now, Jesus is, of course, himself God's most definitive self-revelation. We'll talk more about this later in the sermon. But our creeds are meant to affirm that He is truly human and He is truly God. He is the bridge between the broken relationship between God and humanity. In one person, He brings our two natures together and thus opens the door for us to eternity. So to go back to our Bible passage here, um, it, St. Paul was doing a little bit of word play here that makes, the, that makes the meaning of this passage very, very evident in the Greek in a way it's not evident in the English. So I'm going to focus in on this again. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. And I'm going to focus on these two words, Father and Family. Because in the Greek, they're nearly the same word. The word Father is Pater. The word for family is patria. It's the same root word. St. Paul's deliberately connecting these words so we can see a relationship between the families of earth and our Father in heaven. But it's not a relationship where we're projecting ourselves into heaven. It's exactly the opposite. And here's what this means for us. Men, men and women, it means it, it, it's incredibly meaningful for both of us, but for men, it sets the bar very high for us. Men, we are only fathers. That is, we are only foundational to our family to the degree that we are like our Father in heaven. This is an aspirational piece for us. Human fatherhood is derived from, not the source of the fatherhood of God. It's the exact opposite of what Dr. Daly's proposing. Now, God is like a mother. Moms, we love you. And you can be a spiritual mom even if you have no biological children. We learn some of God's characteristics by looking at moms. And in the ancient world, in all the religions surrounding Judaism, there were goddesses who did things like nurture and plant and grow things. Typically, goddesses were in charge of feeding things too. In Israel, one who knows that there's only one God, all the things that both gods and goddesses did in the other religions, the one God of Israel was responsible for. So we can perfectly look at a caring mother and say, God cares for us just like that. God is like a mother. But by grace, God is our Father. He's Jesus' Father, and through God's grace, He becomes our Father through Jesus Christ. That means, men, we have to learn our office. We have to learn our office from God's revelation. Women are mothers by nature, but men are only fathers to the degree we have come to resemble our Father in heaven through sanctification. And men, this, that, that feels impossibly high to hit that bar. It is. <laughs> it's, it's a lifetime project. But, be, but before you worry too much about it, can I, I'll say tell you this. The greatest responsibility and privilege you have is to teach your children that you're not their father, not their ultimate father? I heard a woman um, giving a eulogy for her father who was a Presbyterian pastor, in fact, a professor of theology, and she said the greatest, greatest thing I can say about him was that he was my father who led me to my father in heaven. Come on, little clicker. There we go. Now, D.K. Chesterton is one of my favorite theologians. He was a newspaper writer, which is why I think he was good at keeping things simple for the rest of us. And he said this, he said, in the beginning, God created man in his image, and man has never ceased trying to return the favor. See, we, humanity says, we, oh Lord, show yourself to us. We cry to the heavens, show us the way. And then when God shows up and tells us, we say, oh, but do show us like that. We're like the disciples in today's reading, right? Their hearts are hardened. They watch thousands of people fed from a couple of loaves and fishes and they're like, "Ooh, that's scary. Don't want anything to do with that. (laughs) We want God on our terms, not on His. We don't want God as He is. We want God our way. We think it's like like Burger King, but we have it our way. We say we want revelation, but what we really want typically is affirmation. The Bible, as we just read, says this For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I think Dr. Daly's problem has less to do with the word Father than it has to do with the I bow my knees. If you read the whole corpus of her work, it's clear she doesn't want to bow to anyone. Since the Enlightenment began in the 1700s, humanity has wanted to be the measure of all things rather than measured by God, especially if we're going to be found wanting. And here's the other problem with Dr. Daly's theology and this is, this, is a, this is a tragedy, it's a pastoral tragedy, is that by rejecting Revelation, she also ends up rejecting God's affirmation and consolation. Because you see, her theology is like this. It's like looking in a mirror. She looks into the Word of God and sees what she wants to find there. And it may make her feel strong for a moment, but in the end you can't escape the fact that all you're doing is putting your own ideas up in front of you. A mirror doesn't have the ability to flatter you. I know. (laughs) It doesn't have the ability to care for you. And I wonder when Dr. Daly reached the end of her life whether her invented God's promises meant anything to her because they were ultimately just her own inventions. See, it's only when we bow our knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name, that we can have the affirmation and consolation of God. Because we're receiving God as he presents himself to us. And the promises are objective, not subjective. Now here's why I want to focus on this this morning. You're like, well, our church out there, it says we're traditionally grounded. We're not going to read the Bible like that. No. But I can tell you that most of the Lutheran churches within an hour's drive of us, the pastors have been deeply, deeply influenced by this theology and they may be preaching it and that means that the people in the pews are little by little being deprived of God's affirmation and his consolation because they've been deprived of the revelation that is scripture. And this are, these are our friends. There are family members. And they're not just in Lutheran churches. It's Episcopal and Presbyterian and Roman Catholic. Mary, Mary Daly was a Roman Catholic theologian. It's all over the map. And we may send our children and our grandchildren off to Christian colleges and be surprised when they come home and they've lost their faith. And it may fall to us. When someone else has lost their faith or is not able to feel the consolation of God's love in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it may come be for us to speak that good word to them. Because there's no pastors around to teach. (laughs) The ministry of the word belongs to us all. We all tell God's promises to one another. Now, Elizabeth Achtemeyer was an amazing theologian in her own right, a contemporary of Mary Daly. She was a phenomenal Old Testament scholar. And here's what she had to say. After spending a lifetime of studying God's words, she had this to say. Biblical language is God's self-revelation. This is God condescending, stepping down to speak to us using our words so we can understand Just like when I try to explain things to my kids when they were little, I often didn't use my my big kid words, I used my little kid words. This is what God's doing with us. And here's what is transparently clear from the whole of Scripture, Dr. Actemeyer says, is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not like a father, not like a son, not like a ghost. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But denying either one of those truths always ends up in us denying Christ. And she said that not just based on her theology, but by painful experience of watching faculty and student turn away from God as a result of these kinds of teachings. This is the picture that the West has had of religion since the 1700s. We're all climbing toward God. But that has never been the story of Christianity. God and humanity, according to Christianity, have been separated by our sin. And so what happens is that God comes to us. That is what the story of Christmas is all about. It's Christmas in July today, folks. So we're going to talk a little bit about it. The the centerpiece of the gospel is not man's search for God or humanity's search for God. It is God's search for humanity, for His fallen away creatures. In fact, so much so that He will indeed take on their very nature in the man called Jesus Christ. And then he will show us the true nature of love, first by, as Philippians says, emptying himself of all power and privilege and taking the form of a servant in a tiny child. And then, upon the cross, he will sacrifice all that it is to be God for all that it is to be humanity, that we might exchange our sin for his righteousness and have all that it is of heaven for ourselves. When we, with Paul, bow our knees to God the Father, when we accept God as who He reveals Himself to be, here are the amazing things we receive. At least, this is a short list. First of all, we receive a father like no father we will ever have on earth. Whether your father was good or bad, we all have a hunger to have a father. I've heard so many stories of people from abused uh, backgrounds for whom this was the best part of the good news is that they now had a father who couldn't fail them. And even from... I try to be a good father. I hope most of us who have children try to be a good father. I'm grateful that my kids... Are getting to know their Father in Heaven who can't fail them like I'm certain I will at times. We also receive the affirmation of God. God affirms our infinite value in His eyes because He would even sacrifice His Son, sacrifice Himself, that we might have a place again in His kingdom. That's affirmation that's tied to no nothing that can be taken away from you. And then we have the consolation of God by his presence in the word. And we receive God's word in at least four ways. We receive it in the word of the gospel, the good news of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And then we receive Jesus Christ himself who is the word made flesh, which is what Christmas is all about, right? (laughs) We receive God's word in the scriptures and we receive the visible word of the sacraments. These are the precious things we receive when we receive God as he reveals himself to be. See, God reveals his character to us and the nature of fulfilled manhood, which is fatherhood, supremely in an act of self-sacrifice. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And we see Jesus giving himself to us In the cross and in the cradle. Power laying itself down in acts of service and humility. This is the measure, this is the character of God. And it is who we are called to grow and become through grace. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we do try to continually, we try to make you to be out to be who we want you to be. We want affirmation and instead you would give us revelation that ultimately consoles and affirms but doesn't, doesn't give us what we, we want in the moment. Bless us, Lord, to receive you as you reveal yourself to be. That we may, holding on to true promises, live our lives in faith and hope and love and give witness to your glory as as of the glory of your Father. This we ask, Jesus, in your precious and holy name. Amen.